Hello, and welcome to the Two Ball Brothers in a Microphone podcast. This is your host, Danny Ryan, and I'm here with Tommy Ryan. How are you doing, Tommy Ryan? I'm doing well. Awesome. Got some gardening in yesterday. I saw that you had some uh, gardening with Dad. That was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it it really felt like a, a first fall day. Yeah. So you were planting, or what were you doing? Um, we laid some irrigation, more irrigation line, uh-huh. hose, and then um, planted some seeds. So. Very nice, very nice. So I want to hit part uh, tray, part three of the servant. If we could um, hit the last, only it only took three three episodes to get through this, um, but. Uh, Wanted to cover the last bit of the book here, and um, again, this is um, this is a book called *The Servant*. It is uh, the subtitle is a simple story about the true essence of leadership by James C. Hunter, and um, we are on chapter five. And chapter five starts off with a quote. I think I quoted this before. It was earlier in the book, which was uh, from a Bill Hewlett, um, from the, one of the founders of Hewlett Packard, which is men and women want to do a good job. If they are provided the proper environment, they will do so. So on chapter five, it is about the environment. So we're going to talk about creating the, the proper environment. Um, just to get us kicked off here, what, what is, when you think about creating an environment at, at three, will, what do you think of first? Um, I think I think you have to hit the, the Maslow's needs hierarchy of needs. So mm-hmm. creating an environment that uh, kind of gives you the, the basics of uh, you know, comfortable, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a comfortable seat, and it's not too hot, not too cold, just right. Uh, a wicked good internet connection yeah yeah little things like that that definitely falls on last needs Mm -hmm. back to fast.com to see what our internet connectivity was (laughs) i got excited because it started off in like 300 and something and that wasn't megabits that was kilobits per second Uh, so i think that's the first you know first place to start Uh uh-huh just the fundamentals and then I, I think people want to be in a, an environment that they're cared for um, and that sounds kind of squishy softy type stuff in a corporate environment but at the end of the day I think that's what can make or break um, you know keeping good people is and being in an environment that they feel appreciated and cared for um, and then you know those things they want to do the same for the customers if they have that environment for themselves. So I think if you don't have some of that basic care that you, you sense in your environment, it's hard to um, provide that for you know, the services you do as a person that would work in a consulting company. Well, first couple of, um, of bits from this chapter are actually some analogies. And one is one from Covey, which is uh, talking about the relational bank account, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he pulls that from the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it's just as a reminder, relational account metaphor teaches us the importance of keeping healthy relationship balances with significant people in our lives, including those we lead. 
Simply put, when we meet a person for the first time, we basically have a neutral relationship account balance because we don't know one another and we're still kind of testing the waters. As the relationship matures, however, we make deposits and withdrawals in these imaginary accounts based on how we be behave. For example, we make deposits into these accounts by being trustworthy and honest, giving people appreciation or recognition, keeping our word, being good listeners, not talking behind other backs, using, using the simple courtesies of hello, please, thank you, and so on. We make withdrawals by being unkind, discourteous, breaking our promises and commitments, backstabbing, being poor listeners, being uh, puffed up and arrogant, and so on. I guess he's, um, why pull this sort of relational uh, bank account into creating the proper environment? Why do you think he's pulling that in? Um, I, I think you have to work in an environment that you have trust with one another and mm -hmm. uh, I think do some things that build that foundation of trust. Um, this, the things that you do, you uh, create vulnerabilities. Uh, you go and make commitments towards delivering something. Um, you know, sometimes if you are, uh, you have a low trust environment, you're going to do things to protect yourself, and that doesn't necessarily give the best service to a customer. If you're you know, looking out for just you, versus if you build up some trust with your teammates, with your with your client. And you can go after things you know, more aggressively, mm -hmm. accomplish more because you're spending more time towards uh, a solution versus things that protect you as, as an individual. Awesome. The next metaphor that he brings up is one of the, what we started the podcast out with, which is the principle of the garden. Um, and that is we do not make the growth occur. The best we can do is provide the right environment and provide the necessary friction so people can choose to change and, and to grow. So using you your, um, the metaphor of what you're doing in the garden and how does that relate to what you do here at work? Yeah, yeah the, law, the law of the harvest. Is this yep, right? yep. Um, the, he, he pulls in uh, talking about um, staying at the... Uh, uh, staying at the Ritz and the, the conversation that he had with one of the folks that was there. And um, um, this is one of the, uh, the attendees of the, of the seminar. And, um, you know, he was asking about sort of noticing what happens um, and trying to figure out, well, you know, like how, how does this behavior occur where everyone is so courteous to other people? And um, he asked one of the folks there and he says, oh, we have a motto here that goes like this. We are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And then he thought it was, you know, interesting and, and um, you know, he's sort of like, okay, that's, that sounds great. But then the guy follows it up with, if we don't behave this way, we don't get to work here. <laughs> so it's like if you're someone doesn't believe you're a lady, ladies and, you know, you're, uh, um, you know, you're serving ladies and gentlemen, then you, it's basically you don't get the privilege of working there. Is there anything about that you don't understand? I laughed him and, and I told him I, I got his point. So, <laughs> so uh, interesting. There's just sort of going into how do you create the proper environment? 
Now, did you say, was this the, the CEO of Ritz-Carlton? No, this was someone who, um, who, who was uh, a, just a, someone who works at Ritz-Carlton. So th within their training, they, um, they wow. institute the concept of saying, you know, you're, uh, the, the motto here is that we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I just uh, re-listened to the podcast from Andy Stanley's leadership podcast that was... Um, having that interview is it's one of those things that you can go back to and get more out of. Um, really had some solid concepts. And I think you know, that, that whole attitude, um, I, I think, creates uh, an environment of service and an environment of mutual respect. You know, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. It's not saying you're a servant to a master as much as you know, we are respectful people serving respectful people. Yep. Which I like that. Chapter six um, is called The Choice. And within there, um, I'll pull out a quote that I, I've got earmarked here. Traditional thinking teaches us that our thoughts and our feelings drive our behavior. And of course, we know this to be true. Our thoughts, feelings, beliefs, our paradigms do in fact greatly influence our, our behavior. Um, our behavior also influences our thoughts and our feelings. When we as human beings make a commitment to focus attention, time, effort, and other resources on someone or something, over time, we begin to develop feelings for the object of our attention. Uh, psychologists say we cathect, I don't know if I'm saying the word right, cathect, C-A-T-H-E-C-T, -E the object of our attention, or in other words, we become hooked or attached to it. Praxis explains why adopted children are loved as much as biological children, why we get so hooked on pets, on cigarettes, gardening, ooh, there's gardening again, booze, cars, golf, collecting stamps, and all the rest of things that fill our lives. When we pay attention to it, spend time with it, or serve, we become attached to it. So choice, talking about choice, three will, this is very much a chapter that um, uh, we relate to and, and uh, you know, making choices as, as the, uh, throughout, in the small choices in our everyday, um, how important those things are to us. Um, you can just agree with me, say that's brilliant, Danny. Awesome. <laughs> I believe leadership begins with a choice um, is one part of this that that's he's pointing out um, and then he talks about the differences uh, between um, neurotics and character disordered people which is neuro neurotics assume too much responsibility and believe everything that happens is their fault Character disordered people, on the other hand, generally assume too little responsibility for their actions. So you're seeing from one end of the spectrum to the other, which is neurotics think that everything happens because of something that they've done and it's their fault. Characters dis disordered people, on the other hand, generally assume too little responsibility, so not everything that's happening around them doesn't have anything to do with them. And, and that those are the two spectrums that people can have with this. Um, Next point, uh, next earmark. I've got plenty of earmarks in this chapter. Um, but determinism, for every event, there is a cause. 
has generally been believed to be true for all physical events, although even this is being challenged by some of the new science. Freud, however, decided to take it a step further. He applied the same principle to human will. He claimed that human beings essentially do not make choices and that free will is an illusion. Boo. I should play some booing. <laughs> boo, Freud, boo, he got it wrong. He believed that our choices and actions are determined by unconscious forces of which we can never be fully aware. Freud asserted that if we know enough about a person's heredity environment, we can actually predict his behavior right down to the individual choices he makes. This theory dealt the concept of, of free will a devastating blow. Boo. Yeah, the nature of nurture thing, and, you know, it's, it's not either or, I think it's an and thing. I think there's an influence there. Freud, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's, he's nailed well, but it's not an absence of free will, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, so a couple of ones, ones, and I keep coming back to this book, which we'll get into here in a second. Um, I recently, here's another quote, freely moved to speak. I added, I recently took an executive course on business ethics where they broke up the word responsibility into two words, response and ability. The course taught us that we have all kinds of stimuli coming at us, bills, bad bosses, marriage problems, employee problems, kid problems, neighbor problems, you name it, problems. The stimulus is always coming at us, but as human beings, we have the ability to choose our response. Yay! Yeah. In fact, the teacher said, speaking more quickly, the ability to choose our response is one of the glories of being human. Animals respond according to instinct. So, and then, um, again, the book I kept, I read this in college and it had a profound effect on me, which was a book, um, from uh, Victor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. Um, have you ever, have you read, do you know the, the premise of the book? No. I, okay. So Frankl was, um, basically, he um, was a Jewish psychiatrist um, uh, and um, had spent time in um, concentration camp. Um, he was imprisoned for several years lost nearly his entire family and possessions at the hands of Nazis. Uh, he even endured horrible medical experiments. He suffered terribly. Um, and you basically, um, yeah, had a horrible experience there. So, and then he's, so he is, he provides a response to Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud once asserted, let no one attempt to expose a number of diverse people uniformly to hungry hunger. With the increased imperative of urge of hunger, all individual differences will blur and their stead will appear to uniform expression as one instilled urge. Thanks heaven, thank heavens, Freud was spared knowing the, college, the concentration camps from the inside. His subjects lay on a couch design in the plush style of Victorian culture and not in the filth of Auschwitz. There, the individual differences did not blur, but on the contrary, people became more different People unmask themselves, both the swine and the saints. Man is ultimately self-determining. Ooh, I'm getting chills down my back. Uh, <clears throat> what he becomes, he has made out of himself. In the concentration camps, for example, in this living laboratory on, on, and on this testing ground, we watched and witnessed some of our comrades be behave like swine, 
while others behave like saints. Man has both potentialities within himself, which which one is actualized depends on decisions, but not on conditions. Our general our generation is realistic, for we have come to know man as he as he really is. After all, man is that being who invented the gas chambers at Auschwitz. However, he is also that being who entered those gas chambers upright with the Lord's Prayer or the Shema Yisrael on his lips. Cool. Um, boy, getting into more philosophers here. here. Uh, Danish philosopher Kierkegaard um, once said that not making a deci- decision itself is, a de- is making a decision. Uh, not making a choice itself is a choice. Remember, um, said one of the people in the book, we, uh, we said that the road to authority and leadership begins with the will. The will is the choices we make to align our actions with our intentions. I'm suggesting that in the end, if we all have to make choices about our behavior and accept the responsibility for our choices, will we choose to be impatient or patient, kind or unkind, actively listen or merely silently waiting for our opportunity to speak, humble or arrogant, respectful or rude, selfless or selfish, forgiving or resentful, honest or dishonest, committed or just involved. You can't say until you get in the situation, right? Mm. We all want to be that person that rises to the occasion right then when you're underneath uh, particular stress. I mean, being in a concentration camp, would you be that swine or would you be that same? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I want to go through the experiment. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, And then to wrap this chapter up, the labors of leadership and love are character issues. Um, Patience, kindness, humility, selflessness, respectfulness, forgiveness, honesty, commitment. These character building blocks or habits must be developed and matured if we are to become successful leaders who will stand the test of time. Thoughts become actions, actions become habits, habits become our character, and our character becomes our destiny. Chapter 7, The Payoff. There's a quote here from Jim Rohn. For for every disciplined effort, there is a multiple reward. And let's see. I'm almost there. We're almost there. Um, Pull from a quote that I've got highlighted here. One of the things I learned in corporate life was that corporate mission statements are fine. And I suppose even a useful purpose but we must never forget that people buy into the leader before they buy into the mission statement. Once they have bought into the leader, they will buy into whatever mission statement the leader's got. Um, If you were to live your life all over again, what would you do differently? The top three answers that, uh, that came were they would risk more, they would reflect more, and they would do more that would live on after they were gone. So this was a question of, of people who were over 90. Yeah. Joy is about the inner satisfaction and conviction of knowing that you are truly aligned with the deep, unchanging principles of life. Serving others breaks you free from the sac- uh, shackles of self 
and self-absorption that choke the joy of living. That's a lot. Joy is the inner satisfaction and conviction of knowing that you are truly aligned with the deep and unchanging principles of life. Serving others breaks you free from the shackles of self and self-absorption that choke the joy, choke out the joy of living. There's a book called um, Religions of Man, uh, one that was mentioned a couple times in the book. He states that all of the world's great religions conclude that man's greatest problem since the beginning of time is his self-centered nature, his pride and his selfishness. Some religions refer to this as sin. Smith concludes that the great religions of the world all teach us how to overcome our selfish nature. All right, one, two, a couple more quotes here, and we're going to put a put a button on this. One from Do- Dr. Albert Schweitzer: I don't know what your destiny destiny will be, but one thing I do know: the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Okay, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I do know. The only ones you, <clears throat> the only ones among you, who will be really happy are those who will have sought and found how to serve. In the book of John, Jesus told his disciples that his incredible joy could be their joy if they obeyed his commandment. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus knew there would be joy in loving the verb, extending ourselves for others. Our purpose here as human beings is to grow towards psychological and phys- phys- excuse me psychological and spiritual maturity this is what pleases god loving serving and extending ourselves for others forces us out of our self self-centeredness loving others pushes us forward out of our terrible twos loving others forces us to grow up and it starts with a choice intentions minus actions equal squat We've got to act on what we've learned because if nothing changes, nothing changes. And that, my friend, there's an epilogue in the back, and that is it. Any overall sort of wrapping up thoughts you've got from uh, from going through the book? Or what sort of, maybe let me ask this, what sort of thing sticks in your head after we've gone through these uh, last three or so podcasts that you'll take away from the book? Um, a lot of it's reaffirming things, um, all about trust, about relationship, um, creating environments people want to work and serve in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it's things that talked about this third part because it's the most recent mm-hmm. um, not reading the book I'm getting the, the cliff notes the highlights of it but I think um, the whole uh, kind of bigger purpose you know out, outside of just the day to day but uh, creating an environment of trust and, and an environment that you want to 
and make something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the things I take away. I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, it was nice. I appreciate um, the time to go through this. And, and uh, next week we'll pick up back up with some uh, starting um, some interviews. And so we'll go back into those. I'm, I'm reading a couple other books, so we might jump into those books if I think they're good ones for us to, to go through. It helps me process just sort of um, go, going through it a second time. And, and um, you know, a lot of these were reading through this reminded me, uh, um, now it feels like, now you're a Hallmark moment. A lot of that, you're, I, I believe you're a great servant leader. Um, and a lot of these qualities, I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like Tommy. So it was really neat going through the book and just, um, uh, you know, reflecting on sort of what does it mean to be a servant leader um, a lot of the things that I think environment wise that you create around here for the people that you work with, um, you really want to leave a legacy. You, you care about, um, you know, what we're doing today. In fact, I, 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 I'll have to show you this, but I went and, uh, I was out shopping with, um, with Amy a couple weekends ago and there was this little, um, um, there's a saying that I picked up that I'm going to hang up here in the office and it just reminded me of you when you were talking about wanting to leave a legacy and, um, and you know, it's the choice of every day that we have, what we do during that day and what are we going to do with that time and we can't get that time back and what are we exchanging that time for and, um, and so it's, it's, it's fun, it's, it's uh, fun going through this journey with you. I appreciate, um, you know, this opportunity to have these types of conversations and um, I appreciate you creating a, a great environment here at 3Well too. Thanks, you betcha. You betcha. So we'll pick back up next week uh, and we'll talk to you then and thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.